what I learned as the years went on is that you could keep running from the pain and the reality of it but no matter where you run to you bring it with you and eventually you have to sit with it and you have to cry and you have to deal with it and I suppose when that reality kind of hit me I definitely was in a stronger place to be able to sit and have a good cry and I remember my doctor saying to me, sit and cry and cry as much as you need to. But if a day comes that you can't stop crying, he said, come to me and then I'll help you because you can't run from the pain. You have to sit with it and deal with it. Hello and welcome to our latest episode of Gary Talks. This week is a really special episode as Siobhan Carroll of Act for Meningitis, one of our chosen charities this year at GK Media, talks about setting up the charity 12 years ago following the death of her daughter Ava from meningitis. And the importance of listening to this episode is to raise awareness for you and your loved ones of the signs and symptoms to look out for as this disease affects not only children but young adults aged 16 to 24 and elderly people aged over 65 in our community too. One in 10 of us carry meningitis in the back of our throats and it is one of the biggest killers of children in Ireland. Siobhan talks about how she started the charity and all the challenges they faced, but how it has helped her on her journey of loss and grief. She talks about trying to reach as many people as possible to educate and raise awareness of the disease, but also the importance of offering free support services in Ireland to those affected by meningitis. It's never easy to run a business, but running a charity, I think, is even harder, especially when you are relying on the generosity of the public and you are constantly having to innovate and create new concepts to engage support. This isn't an easy episode to listen to, but it's an important one and it could possibly make a massive difference for someone in their life. So sit back and I hope you find some value in the following conversation. This is a GK Media Podcast. Siobhan Carroll, founder of Act for Meningitis. Thank you so much for joining us in studio and coming on Gary Talks. Thank you, Gary. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, delighted to have you. And there's two main reasons why I was eager to get you on the show here today. One was I'm delighted that we set up a thing this year in GK Media as we celebrate 10 years that we wanted to give something back. And one of those things we wanted to do was support three charities in Ireland and we put a call out there in January and we asked any charity that wanted a free promotional video made to promote the services, make people more aware of what they do, to fill out a short little sheet on our website and then we'd bring in an independent committee to go through all the applications and select three. And I'm delighted to say that Act for Meningitis was one of those charities that was selected. And when I was talking to you on the phone after you know, we informed you that you were one of the chosen charities. There is so much to your story and there's so much about the history of Act for Meningitis and the journey of it. We realized that we wouldn't get all this in in a short three to five minute video. And I said, you have to come on, Gary Talks, and talk. (laughs) And the second reason is that what you do like you're the only charity really in Ireland doing what you do. And sadly, it's still causing so many deaths in Ireland, uh, not only in young people, but in young adults and in elderly people. And I think if anyone listens to this podcast today and really hear the symptoms and signs to look out for, 
it can make a massive difference for someone else. That's a great win. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's enough of me talking because <laughs> it's you. You're the guest. <laughs> and the other thing I wanted to say was I think it's important as well for people to realize how bloody hard it is to run a charity. Mm. Yeah. So your charity is 12 years this year, Act mm. for Meningitis. As I said, it's a national charity, the only one in Ireland. And meningitis is one of the biggest killers of children under the age of five in Ireland. So we're going to go back, if you don't mind, and I know it's it's never easy retelling this story, but if you can, take us back and tell us about your beautiful daughter, Ava. Yeah. So first of all, I suppose where it all began and the reason why the charity is here is because in 2008, I was heavily pregnant and I was feeling unwell and I was at home and during the, that morning, Ava was four and Evan was in the house with two with their dad and Noel. And I got her dressed, sent her off to Montessori. And we, I decided to go into the hospital because I was feeling really unwell with bad headaches. And they decided to keep me in for the night. Ava, well, my mum collected her from the Montessori with Evan and they went to Supermax that day. And they came home and life was as normal, I suppose, as anyone could hope for. Excited with the new baby coming. We knew it was going to be a boy and Ava had picked the name Noah and had helped me that weekend to pack the baby bag. So I spoke to her at nine o'clock that night and she told me she had learned all about Africa and the Ninara and she was going to bed and I said, good night, I love you. And I spoke to Evan and I said, I'll talk to you in the morning. So a few hours later, Noel rang me and said, Ava's kind of sick. She's a bit of omen and diarrhea. And but, you know, I didn't really, you know, kids be sick, they get bugs. You don't really you don't get overly concerned. Probably always bothered me that I wasn't there because I was always there and they were sick. I was a mum who was at home with their kids, didn't really go out, just wanted to, you know, I suppose, be with them. And he put her to bed and unbeknownst to me, what was happening at home was a few hours later, she was up again and she just wasn't herself. And he rang the out of hour service. He rang the doctor and said, eh, she has these symptoms. She's not usually like this when she's sick. And they said, there's a bug going around. Just keep an eye on her. Check and see if the light is bothering her and check her and see if she's any rash. No, none of that. So I went into bed in the hospital in Galway in the maternity and I got a call from Noel and he said, Ava's really sick. The ambulance is on the way. And I couldn't understand it. I'd been talking to her at nine o'clock and she was, you know, to me, she was fine. She had had a wonderful day in the Montessori. And I got dressed and I ran down to the front door of the hospital. And what was happening at home was that Noel had rang the out of hours again and said, you know, I'm just not happy with her. And he was holding her in his arms. I'd rang my mum and mum came out and he was holding her in his arms. And they were looking at Tom and Jerry on the telly and he looked down and Ava was, you know, was going, her, she was turning grey, really, for want of a better word. And he thought it was a reflection of the telly. And she literally was just, she just closed her eyes. And he rang the ambulance. They came out and they said to him, we think we have a pulse. I didn't know any of this was going on. I was just waiting at the front door of the hospital in Galway. And I remember hearing the ambulance in the distance and this ambulance was coming really fast. And I remember still it was pitch dark. There was it was really quiet in the car park. And I remember thinking somebody's really sick. That ambulance is in a hurry to get here. Not for one second thinking that when the ambulance pulled up, Noel jumped out. 
and it was the ambulance with Ava. And they rushed her into the room in A&E and they brought me in. Now, I was heavily pregnant and myself and Noel waited outside. I just couldn't bear to think what was happening in that room or being there. And I suppose they were trying to mind me as well. And when we were standing there, we saw the priest and the consultant walking towards us. And they said, I'm really sorry, she's gone. And they brought us down to the room. Like, it was just, you know, there's very little I remember from that night. There's just one or two things. I remember being helped down to the room and they opened the door and it was packed with medical. There was doctors, there was nurses, there was so many people there and there was complete silence. They all just stood back and we walked up to her and she was lying there and she was gone within, we would say, six hours of being sick. She had she had passed away and our lives just changed forever from that night, you know. We went home and... Of course, we went ahead with the burial and all, all that kind of thing. And four weeks and a day later, then Noah was born. I don't remember anything about that at all, apart from the midwife and Noel and me in the maternity holding them and the three of us hugging each other, just crying. And we went home with Noah and a year later, Sophie was born. And the mad thing about it was the night I went into labour with Sophie, the same midwife walked into the room to me that had helped me deliver Noah. And I just thought, oh, Ava's looking after me. You know, she's sending someone to mind me, someone who knew how traumatic this was because I knew it was going to be a girl. I was terrified when I went into labour that night with Sophie. So you're just always going to think the worst, I suppose. And then we went home and just had to try and start, you know, getting on with your lives. But one of the things that I always, always remember saying to myself was, even though my life had changed so dramatically overnight, that I was not going to let my children's lives change. And I was going to try and give them as much of a normal life as possible. And that's where I suppose I did my best to try and keep going till I decided that the one thing Noel had said to me was, I wish I'd had something to look at. I wish I'd known about meningitis. I wish I had some information at hand. And I remember driving along the motorway and I was crying and I pulled in. And I just, you know, it's it's just surreal trying to get through every day and you really are living in a bubble. But I remember thinking, I have to try and stop another family going through this, this pain that that, that I, was, I was feeling. And that's where act for meningitis began, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it, it always gets me and I didn't know Ava when I heard the story. And I have a four-year-old now. Mm. You know, I, I don't know how you keep going. It's, it's amazing that you've set up a charity in her name. Mm-hmm. But I, I couldn't bear to think of the heartache you've endured all these years. Yeah, and I never sat back and thought about what a bereaved mother looked like. Mm. You know, I hadn't I hadn't had anyone close to me lose a child. You know, I had friends who had, you know, had had miscarriage and stuff. And I had miscarried twins in my very first pregnancy. And I know that kind of loss and pain. And... A few weeks after Ava passed, we were in the hospital in Galway and we met a consultant who had come down from Dublin and we were sitting talking to her. And she said to me, I know, I know what you're going through. 
And I was thinking this, this lovely lady, you know, so elegant and so nice and so kind. And, and she said, I've lost two children. And I remember sitting there looking at her and I was just, my God, I said, how, how do you get through it? And she said to me, you keep as busy as you can for as long as you can. Because she said, it's not the first year, it's not even the second year, maybe it's not even the third year before the reality of what has happened hits you. She said, it's two or three years down the line. And at that stage, then you're in a stronger, better place to deal with the loss because really I are in a bubble for the first few years. It's just basically survival day by day. And I had a new baby four weeks after. So I was up doing night feeds and then Sophie come the year after. So our life was really, really busy. And and that's what I decided to do. So that's where I decided to go ahead with the charity and try and stop someone else going through it. But I was doing it as much for myself at the start as well, because what I learned as the years went on is that you could keep running from the pain and the reality of it. But no matter where you run to, you bring it with you. Yeah. And eventually you have to sit with it and you have to cry and you have to deal with it. And I suppose when that reality kind of hit me, I definitely was in a stronger place to be able to sit and have a good cry. And I remember my doctor saying to me, sit and cry and cry as much as you need to. But if a day comes that you can't stop crying, he said, come to me and then I'll help you because you can't run from the pain. You have to sit with it and deal with it. And that's where I suppose the charity helped me at the start because I had no experience. I was a Montessori teacher at the time when Ava passed and I had no experience of anything, you know, about doing business and like that. And I remember sitting down with a diary and Googling how to set up a charity. That's where it started. And that's where ACT for Meningitis came from. So the ACT is the actually the Ava Carl Trust. And we want people to act if they suspect meningitis. And Ava loved rainbows. Our logo was a rainbow. And we always, and her favourite song was Somewhere Over the Rainbow. She always used to sing it. And even on sunny days, she used to say to me, how come there's no rainbows today, mum? So a rainbow is a sign of hope. So after the rain, the rainbow appears. And after meningitis, we want to give people hope. So that's where it all began. And as I say, 12 years in July, the charity started out. Brilliant. When you're telling the story about Ava in Noel's arms and mm. he was told by the out-of-hours GP to check for a rash and mm. see was the light bothering her and he had said no. I mean, I thought... I still think until now, obviously I'm wrong, that they were the only two symptoms you had to look out for. Yeah, the problem with meningitis is, first of all, the time is of the essence. And somebody with meningitis gradually over hours will get sicker. So you always have someone to say, you need to keep an eye on them. But the early symptoms of meningitis can present like flu-like symptoms, temperature, cold hands and feet, headache, vomiting. And the biggest misconception about meningitis is that there has to be a rash. And meningitis doesn't always produce a rash. Ava had no rash. And if a rash does appear, you're at a really, really late stage and you need to get urgent medical attention immediately. And in our case, the strain of meningitis that Ava got was so rapid and so quick. Within six hours, she was gone. Some people, it can be over longer length of time. It can be up to over 24 hours. But somebody gradually getting sick, sicker over hours and, you know, norepinephrine, calpol doesn't work. They're not usually like this when they're sick is the way Noel always described it. And when she was sick, she was starting to start moaning a small bit. And she asked Noel where I was. And I think that's something that stayed with me for a really, really long time. 
that I wasn't there when she was sick. And I know that Noel would have often said to himself, if I'd got her into the hospital quicker, if I had whatever, but I really, really don't think now, from all I know from the years with the charity, I don't think she could have been saved. And so through our work and the awareness and what we're trying to do is to make people aware of the signs and symptoms, what to look out for, trust your instincts, you know your own child. If they're not usually like this when they're sick, go get medical attention. If you're not happy, get a second opinion. You know, you know your own child and all my awareness talks I do around the country and I do a vast range of different awareness talks to paramedic, to pharmacy training, to secondary school students, all all different talks. You know your own child, you know you're not usually like this when you're sick and to get medical help because, you know, it can save a life. Mm. And people also aren't aware that babies and children up to age five 16 to 24 year olds and over 65 are the highest risk age groups to contract meningitis, but actually anybody of any age can get meningitis. So there's not one person in this country that doesn't need to know about meningitis, you know, and making yourself aware and being assertive really could make such a difference, you know. And sadly, there was some young adults in college that passed away just before Christmas. Recently, yeah, there was four young people, 18 and 19 year olds that passed away between October and December last year. So there has been, so for the two years that we were kind of all locked away with COVID, you wouldn't have seen many cases of meningitis because it's airborne. So it spreads through coughing and sneezing. And of course, nobody was mixing in the country. And now that everyone's back and life is back to normal and students are back in college and children are back in crashes and stuff like that, you would see the cases appearing again. But it was so heartbreaking to see, you know, four young people's lives been lost last year to meningitis. And there's been there's two different types of meningitis There's bacterial and viral. And there's been a massive increase in cases of viral meningitis. So people mixing again and probably not having built up immunity over the last few years, two different things. And that's why we're seeing these cases coming back again. So it's more important now than ever that people are aware of what to look out for and ensuring their children's vaccinations are up to date are really, really important as well, you know, to give them a fighting chance. So our work is, we're a really, really small charity, but we're the only ones in Ireland. So we have to shout a bit louder to be heard and to reach as many people as possible with the awareness. Ava was in Montessori that day. Mm-hmm. So did anyone in her Montessori class contract meningitis that week? No, nobody. So what happens is that the, the public health will get involved. And so everybody that was in the class with her had to go and take a tablet, you know, to, there's a tablet out there to take. And there was no one else. There was no one else that had contracted it. And what's the tablet do? It's like a prevention to stop, you know, getting the meningitis. There's a tablet you can get if you've been around somebody. All right. Yeah. That's just that. Is that to a GP or is that to a pharmacy? No, the public health have to do that. They wouldn't do it on every case. It depends on the strain that the the person would have got. So that's done, I suppose, we would say discreetly in the background, if certainly if someone passes away. So that happened. So, yeah, that... It's a preventative, but it's also 
but people, once, but people still need to be aware of the symptoms and stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, but that's after someone has obviously been yes, diagnosed. Yeah, or if someone has passed away and it does, it, it depends on the strain usually as well of the bacterial meningitis that they contracted. But it's it's extremely rare for for two people, you know, in one setting or something to have meningitis. It's they say they say it's like when, in the, you know, the lot of the chances of the odds of someone else contracting it is extremely rare. So but obviously as a precaution, that's what usually happens, depending on the strain. So that's what usually happens in a case when someone's passed away. And was hers bacterial or was it? Hers is bacterial, yeah. So bacterial. She contracted pneumococcal meningitis and she passed away in the April of pneumococcal and the pneumococcal vaccine was introduced into Ireland October of that year then. So what if? Can every child... That's all available now. It's available in the National Immunisation Schedule. All babies will get that. So that vaccine's out there. That came in in 2008. Like I remember when I was talking to you initially on Zoom a few weeks ago and I was telling you, you know, our story with our now nine-year-old when she was six months old, I came home from work. We say work in inverted commas because I just set up GK Media. So I was trying to get into some sort of pattern and, you know, find business and so on. But I came home around lunchtime and my nine-year-old daughter now was six months then was kind of lying across the kitchen table in her seat, in her high chair. And I said to my wife, I said, um, oh, she's due a nap now. And she goes, no, I'm after taking her up. She slept for two hours, but she's really sleepy. I thought that's weird. Like usually after two hours, they're hyper mm-hmm. after getting their siesta. And as first time parents, you're just like, it's, I pity anyone. Like it's so not easy being a first time parent. And there's just this fear of being the overreactive parent, you know, the hypochondriac parent, because every, everyone loves it. Ah, they're grand. That's normal. It's fine. Don't be overreacting. It's grand. You just, you have this kind of sense of judgment of you mm-hmm. all the time. And I remember we were there and we were pondering, we would just see how it goes. You know, she doesn't really have much of a temperature. Maybe she's just run down or tired at the moment. And I remember taking her up out of her high chair and putting her in my arms. She used to love going in my arms when I was able to lift her back then. Yeah. And she, her head just flopped on my shoulder. And I said, Kara, I said, this isn't right. I said, we need to do something. And we're lucky that the hospital is only three or four kilometers away from where mm-hmm. we live. But I remember the journey of putting her in the car and I was saying, to, my wife sat in the back with her and I said, keep her awake, keep her awake, keep her awake. And that drive to the hospital, that felt like an hour, yeah. even though it was probably only five minutes or so. And then there was a little sense of relief when we got there and they took her in straight away. So I was like, oh, grand, everything's fine. But the next minute they stripped her down and they were twisting her and turning her and everything. And I just remember it was chaos. There was a medical team around her and it was pure chaos. And I said, um, What's going on? Because in my head, she was just a little sleepy. Mm. I said, what's going on? They said, we're checking her for meningitis. And then I could just feel like the earth open up from under me and I was gobsmacked. And thankfully, it wasn't meningitis. They never actually came, got to the bottom of what it was. And the thing was just some sort of infection. But how the symptoms 
came on so quickly. And that was great that that's what they were checking for. But me as a parent, that was the last thing I thought of. Yeah, but and still. And it needs to be. Yeah, it does. But first, still, still, it? you knew, like with babies and especially with babies, you know, that that's just not normal for a baby to be, you know, to mm. be like that. And I've been limp or floppy, refusing feed. Bulging fontanella, you know, the soft spot on the baby's head. That's one of the symptoms with babies and stuff. People just need to. And like we we have families who have shared stories with us who have gone in to the hospital with babies with those kind of symptoms and they perk up a small bit in the hospital. They send them home and they have to make a dash back in and it has been meningitis and stuff. So, you know, people should just and it's not it's not me trying to scare people. But if you know, you knew something wasn't right that day and thankfully you were sent home. So just, you know, to to go and be the voice for your child, you know, to be sent home and everything's OK. You just have to do that. You just have to walk in the door of that hospital mm. and shout, you know, and to be heard. And one of the things I always say as well when I do all my talks is, you know, especially to parents is when you're handing them over to a doctor or whoever and just say, can you rule out meningitis for me? So put that word in the medical person's in their head, you know, so so they're the ones that are going to take charge and do the little things to check and see. Especially th- the biggest probably battle for us with the age groups that we're trying to get awareness with is the student age groups because they are away from home. They're with their friends or in college dorms. And at that age, like we all did, we think you're invincible, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And when we do our pop-up stands or we do our talks in all the colleges or where they're, nobody really comes up to us unless they know somebody or they themselves have been affected by meningitis because they don't think it's going to affect them. So trying to get the message through to that age group that mind your friends, if someone's really sick, check on them, tell them to go to the doctor, tell them to ring home, you know. So we're, we're doing a bit of work with the ISHA, the Irish Students Health Association. Their conference is on in Galway in um, April and I'm actually speaking at the conference to try and get more awareness into the colleges. And so these are doctors and nurses that work on the college campuses that are coming to this conference to try and get the awareness there to make that age group more aware of what to look out for and the symptoms because, you know, as I've said before, time is of the essence when it comes to meningitis. And we've had stories where sadly, you know, people have lost that age group of of young people and we have people who have gone in to the hospital or checked on their friends and it has been meningitis. And, you know, it's so important that we get the awareness out to that age group. Do we know why one person in a room can get it and the other no there's there's no there's no I know there's a lot of research going on with that in the moment uh, at the moment in this in universities in England there's a lot of research going into that but there's no specific reason why one person is more susceptible than another to contracting meningitis so one in ten of us carry it in in the back of our throat or nose and it never affects us yeah so that's where you see the issues with the students because there's such big groups them together and stuff and it may never affect us but nobody they don't actually know the reason why one person but there's research gone into that so there's a lot of work being done now with the World Health Organization because with so much that's gone on over the last few years with COVID you know it did take over understandable but like other diseases were kind of pushed to the side for want of a better word. So two years ago, the World Health Organization created a roadmap to try and defeat meningitis by 2030. 
So that's a global plan to defeat meningitis because, you know, in a lot of the countries like in Africa and stuff, they don't have the vaccines that we have. So that, you know, the work needs to be done on that and there needs to be in each country, there needs to be more awareness done. There needs to be more awareness done around vaccines. There should be in Ireland, we need an aftercare plan support for people. There's just us, you know, and if someone doesn't tell someone coming out of the hospital about ACT, you're left, you know, Googling where to get support. So there's this big roadmap plan. So I'm delighted to say that they put a strategic group together and I'm representing Ireland. Yeah. For the, yeah, no, it's it's amazing. It's a massive honour. So you had to, so I was invited to represent them. So I'm trying to, I'm going to try and shout to be heard for Ireland and what we need to do with our suggestions and try and get, you know, more awareness and more, I would like to see a strategic plan put in place for Ireland around awareness and support and stuff. So that's starting in the next few weeks. It's just going to be all to Zoom at the moment. But so there's so much that needs to be done because around awareness, around vaccines and around the, the lack of support that's out there apart from what our charity offers to people. You know, it's still happening. It's still in Ireland. There's still cases and there's still people that are on this journey that they walk out of the hospital, you know, so one in three are left with side effects from meningitis. So they're coming out the door and they're on a new journey with their child or with themselves as an adult. And one in 10, you know, sadly will lose their lives, in, you know, with the case of meningitis. So the support needs to be there. And so there's a lot of work needs to be done still around it. Bring me back 12 years ago then. So mm. how did you go about setting up the charity and what was like, what was the what, what were the big lessons Back then, where I'm sure there was innocence and naivety to this whole process. Yeah. So it started really on a wave of emotions, really. And I will still say that the support of the people in Galway was phenomenal. I'm from Galway and the support of the people, I, I, I can never, I can never put into words the support that we were given. Someone donated an office to us for a year to get started. People were volunteering. We had events. People were turning up. And these were people that I could have been in primary school with. I could have been in secondary school with. Friends of friends. I remember having a table quiz up in the Clayton and you couldn't move in the place. There must have been about six or seven hundred up there. And it was so it was so emotional for me that even though these people hadn't been directly affected by meningitis, that they believed in what we were trying to do. And, it, you know, there was a, a survey done a couple of years ago and 90% of GPs say it's the one disease that they fear the most in case of missing it. And it is probably the biggest fear of any parent as well that they miss out on it. So everybody that were supporting us and still support us, they still support us, they still come to our Strictly's, we have our ball, they, for years we used to have Ava's Run and Renville and Ormore, they still support us, they still go on the page, they share something, you know, it's it's just been phenomenal to support and when we started out first as awareness our plan was just to be an awareness charity but really quickly we started getting phone calls from people who heard about us and they just needed someone to talk to you know you are really alone when you've been affected by meningitis because it like every disease is different but with meningitis the speed of it and what you're left to deal with after and it doesn't just affect, you know, the person who's had the meningitis. The ripple effect is what we, we call it, is the effect on the parents, the effect on the siblings. You know, 
this child could be coming home adult and they're suffering and the siblings are afraid the mom and dad are going to be gone again. The parents are afraid what if they get sick again. So the, the ripple effect of meningitis affects the whole family and with loss and bereavement it affects communities you know across the across the board. So that's when we got our amazing psychotherapist Emer who runs all our support services and all our services are free and there's no waiting list and we will support you for as long as you need it and not just you siblings families and communities I visit our bereaved families when when they make the first contact I go visit them and talk to them so we've built up we'd say a network of friends but to know that you're sitting in your house and there's somebody who understands they could be in another part of the country who understands what you're going through know that you're there for a text for a check-in just to know that you're not alone and same with the support services, what, whatever level of support you need, whatever time you need it, we'll give you the support that you need. Could be counselling, could be play therapy. We have our online workshops. We have our family day. We bring all our families together and all our services are free. And to some families then would dip in and out of the support as they need it. So the children could be start school, doing really well. And then maybe they're not reaching a milestone or they're struggling in school or, you know, so it can be a few years after before you can see the side effects from meningitis. So we're there for them when they need it. What did I learn from it? What have I learned in all my years? I, I, no, I can't say anything negative because it's it probably saved me and I think that I'm still humbled by the kindness of people who just want to help me make a difference. And I, it's it's been the most amazing journey with so many ups and downs and hard days and sad days and days when you just stand there and cry and days when people will do something to remember Ava. Or I was at a ball, there was a ball in Limerick a few years ago and it was for in memory of a little girl down there who had passed away. And her local school, one of the women made teddy bears and she made a teddy bear and had sat there and sewed it and put Ava's name on it and the charity logo was sewn onto it and they made a presentation to me at it. And I mean, to think that somebody went to that effort and cared enough to to do something to remember Ava because we want to try and help other people, but she did it for me. Mm. It's just been amazing. And I mean, it's it's changed my life for the better. It really has. And it's, it's helped me on my on my journey, I think, through loss, grief. Um, my children were a part of it for years. They'd be out doing the runs. They'd be out shaking buckets. They'd be traveling around the country with me. And we all, you know, we all get to do it together and to remember her as well. And are you supported then by the Irish government? Slightly, <laughs> slightly. We have no... That's an awkward we, question then, Yeah, yeah, no. The, we don't have any su sustainable government funding. So we have to apply for small little grants and stuff throughout the year. We get a small bit of, of, of support. The majority of our funds and stuff is all raised to community fundraising or events that we'd organise ourselves. So it is no more than for any organisation or any business in the last few years is extremely challenging. But like we're still standing. We're still doing the best we can. What we have, we get corporate support. Our awareness materials are in 
all the GPs around the country, which was a massive achievement for us in the pharmacies around the place, in around the country. There's our, our awareness cards are out there. So we're reaching people. But we have to really, I suppose, put in the work no more than any other organisation. But we, we, we have to do a lot of the work to try and do all that. How many families do you know that you've worked with over the last 12 years? And I couldn't give you a figure for the last 12 years, but at the moment we would have uh, roughly about 160 families in our services who are at different levels of support. Currently. So, currently. So that could be a family who just need a phone call. They want to check in. That could be someone that would check in for advice. That could be families who at Christmas time we send out all our packs to them and it's a kind of uh, they do their little bonding and they do a family activity together. Then we have our workshops online where people will come in and the workshop is teaching the parents and working with the parents and how to work with their children at home. So we give them the skills to do that. Then we have our family days. So it, it, it depends on different. But at the moment, that's about how many families are in our service at the moment, but different levels of support. But we could get a phone call from somebody who's in the hospital. I had a woman email me whose son was 16 and he was doing a placement in, in Ireland and she was in America and she was concerned about him. So she was emailing me. I was emailing her back. I should want advice, want help. So it's all different types of levels of support. But... And what that was he in hospital or yeah, and then he was he was staying in a house and he was diagnosed. Was yeah, he it was was with viral. So she wanted she needed advice and help because she was so far away. So we were emailing over and back, and I would be talking to our the consultant that's on our board, getting advice and help for her. So we kind of worked together. So it's all different types of level of support. And, and when then, you say that you do work with children, is that play therapy for? Children with meningitis or children who lost a sibling? Well, any, anyone that needs it. Often it's siblings as well who've been affected and they can get the play therapy as well. And then we have counselling services, phone call, whatever kind of support is relevant to the family that they needed at the time. So it's a wide range of support. Yeah. At the start, when you set up the charity and you have, you know, 600, 700 people at the Clayton Hotel and... You know, there's the big launch and everyone's mm. on board and giving you an office for a year. And there's that real community support. Yeah. So you're starting the ground running. Yeah. But then things happen. People move on with their lives. Yep. There's other distractions, whatever. And it's not intentional, but you, we'll say that big circle of support that was there 12 years ago. You know, you could look around the room now and see that those numbers might have just naturally dwindled. Mm -hmm. So how do you keep getting the message out there and how do you keep encouraging people to support the charity? What we've seen over the years is a lot of the time families who have maybe been through our services or families who've been affected. So they want to do something then in their community. So we would work with those families. So if there's events on, we would arrive down, have an awareness stand, hand out all the awareness materials, talk to them. And it's, so they are still coming to support us like we put in a lot of the work now. So I would do a lot of awareness talks and through those, then we have people that want to support us. I do a lot of paramedic training and we've got massive support from the, from those from the paramedics around Ireland. I do pharmacy training, train the pharmacists because that's often the first point to call for people. And so we we really have to kind of put in the work to try and reach the people. 
And everywhere we go, we will always meet somebody who's been affected by meningitis or knows somebody or who believes in what we're trying to do and knows the importance of the awareness or the support. And that's how I suppose the charity is still is still going because we still have a lot of people who would still come and support us and have for years. But there's always new people every year that come in and want to help us in what we're trying to do. How has it affected your family, you know, your other three children and mm. and Noel, because you've you've grown up with this mm-hmm. grief now. Yeah. And I suppose after years, so when myself and Noel separated, we're nearly six years separated now. And so Evan was the only one that knew Ava. So Evan went to bed. He was two. She taught him how to walk. She held his hand and taught him how to walk. And he went to bed and woke up in the morning and she was gone. Evan doesn't talk about it much. And I know I do know that for the f- that for the first few years after that it was there was a lot of confusion around it, like where's she gone? I remember him saying, Can we get a ladder, mommy, and climb up to heaven and bring Ava back? I remember him saying that one of the days. And even now, he won't say much. He doesn't really talk about it. Evan's 17 now. He doesn't talk about it much. Noah knows that Ava picked his name and that packed his baby bag. And but I think out of the three of them, I think for Sophie, who Sophie's 13 now, and Sophie would sometimes say to me, Mom, I wish Ava was here. The boys have each other, but I'd love to have had an older sister. And she'd often say, could you imagine the size the house would need now if Ava and the twins were all here or we'd need a bigger car? Do you think we'd live where we're living if there was all of us here? But I think for her, sometimes she'd have a cry and she'd say, I wish I had my sister because the boys would be very close. And it had a profound effect on all of us in different ways. And I remember talking to somebody who said that the siblings, you know, can be even if they didn't know the person in the past, it can be really, really hard for them too because obviously there's a sense of loss and grief in the house and you're trying your best and you have those days where you just want to sit and cry and you can't because you've, you know, I had three small kids in the house. Everything was so crazy and busy and like I said, I didn't want their lives to change because my life had changed and I remember bringing them up to the play areas, bring them to their sports, their trainings and... It definitely, it definitely had an effect on them. But a lot of talking and I suppose them seeing me trying to get on with it and be positive and talk about her in a positive way and doing this in her memory has probably helped us all kind of get through it all. With myself and Noel, I think that he he was holding her when she died, you know, and and I wasn't there when she passed away and it it really, really was so difficult for both of us to come to terms of what the other person had been through and how we felt. And, you know, in time, it just and we're we're in a very good place now, myself and Noel, and he's involved in the kids lives and we get on really well and we're there to side the pitches for them. And, you know, but it really, it really was. It, it took its toll, I think, on us, on us both. But I can sit here now and say that Ava would have been 19. So she was born on New Year's Day. She was the first baby born in Mm. Ireland. And we were on the news and we're in the newspapers. And we say she came with a bang. 
and she left with a legacy. And I can say that, and nobody wants to hear this at the start, but I can say that time is a healer. I miss Ava every day. I go down the village and I see her friends that she was in the Nina row with. Because, you know, it's a village, everyone knows each other. And they'd be like, hi, Siobhan. And you get a pain in your heart and you have to struggle to take a breath sometimes. I was in the university a few weeks ago in, in NUIG. It was a volunteer fair and I was surrounded by students. And I remember sitting there thinking, what would she look like? Would she be here? You know, so you have good days and bad days. You have days where you still can't believe it actually happened to you. Sometimes it's so surreal. But like time is a healer and I can talk about her. She's going to be remembered and true in her memory and her legacy, you know, we're working. There's lives have been saved. You know, people aren't alone after meningitis. And I suppose you, you, you still, you still will change it in the morning, obviously. But I remember they said to us if she had survived that she would have had no quality of life you know, that she would have been, would have severely impacted her. And um, what I've wanted that for her, you know, she loved singing, she loved dancing, she loved getting her nails painted, she loved going shopping. For about two years after, I remember I avoided doing stores because I couldn't go past the kids section because we were always in there picking up bits and she loved her fashion and her style and she'd sneak in her bags and hide them in the wardrobe. But you have, you really had, to, I had to make a choice to get on with my life for her, you know, and that, and that's what we're doing. So can you just, and I know you've said already, but can you just remind us again some kind of bullet points of what people need to watch out for? And again, this is not only for children, this is for young adults, this is for elderly, this is for everyone really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, so, so if you're talking about babies and small children first, so papers and children up to age five, but especially up to age one, but up to age five. So refusing feed, kind of little jerky body movements, bulging fontanella, which is the soft spot on top of their head, not like being held, fever with cold hands and feet. And because no baby, you know, after a few months should be having temperatures and stuff like that. So that should be alarm signs uh, for uh, alarm bells for people. So they're the kind of early symptoms with babies. And there's one or two videos we have on our social media when see people share their stories and, you know, their children did present with those symptoms. And then, of course, the rash, which is the sepsis, uh, which does appear, but may never appear. And if it does appear, it's at a very late stage and you need urgent medical attention. So they're the kind of symptoms for babies and small children. And then for the student age group, so fever with cold hands and feet, a headache like they've never experienced before. Vomiting. A stiff neck, bright lights bothering them. And one or two of the students who would have, you know, been in contact with the charity over the years would have said it as a severe, horrendous hangover, but not getting any better over hours, getting sicker and getting sicker. So that's the kind of age group and they'd be the kind of same symptoms as well for, you know, for the older, for the older age group as well as any adults at those kind of, that kind of age. But the headache, they talk about this blinding headache that I've never experienced before. And of course, again, the rash that may never appear. So for years, you would have seen the pictures where you get the tumbler and you rub it over the rash, uh, over the glass or over the rash. And if it doesn't disappear, then that's very serious. And that's when you need to get medical help but people need to remember that anyone of any age can get meningitis 
the meningitis doesn't always produce a rash. And to ensure all the vaccinations are up to date is really important because there's, there's definitely been a decrease in the uptake of vaccines due to COVID to ensure that they've had their meningitis vaccines and uh, to trust their instincts. And is the meningitis vaccine only for us young people? or So they get the schedule in the baby's immunisation schedule. So it takes five visits to be covered in the baby's immunisation schedule. And then with the children going to first year of secondary school, they will get which has been introduced in the last three years, is the ACWY vaccine. It used to be the C1, but now they've changed the ACWY so they're protected against more strains. So that's given now first year of secondary school. Okay, very good. So that's available as well. And that's all That's all free. And what about young fogies like ourselves? <laughs> Possibly down the line to look at, uh, there's over 65, so we're donkey's years away <laughs> from that. So don't need to worry about that yet. But the pneumococcal vaccine. Which is which is free for over sixty fives, and that would cover pneumonia and the the pneumococcal strain of meningitis as well, and that's available free for over sixty fives. And how bad is it in other countries? So, per capita, obviously the UK and stuff would have higher number of cases, but when you're looking at countries like Africa and all those areas, they can have massive outbreaks of cases of, of meningitis. So so there is serious concerns and problems over there and no vaccines being available. So I know with the World Health Organization there's a lot of work being done around that, but they would have they could have big outbreaks of it. But we wouldn't see outbreaks or anything. We wouldn't see outbreaks or anything because people are being vaccinated and especially with that ACWY with the herd immunity, while you're getting the vaccination, you're protecting those around you. So we wouldn't see and of course, there's been a big decrease in cases since all the vaccines have come in over the years. But meningitis is still here yeah. and it's still happening. And it's still and, killing people. And it is, yeah. So there's a lot of work for us still to do. You know, the the four young people who passed away there between October and December last year, and I know you, you know, support families. I mean, you talk about the ripple effect that must mm. have a huge effect on their fellow Peers. Yeah, definitely. And when even in my case, first of all, when there's so few things I remember around that time, but I remember some woman coming up to me years later and saying, I was an A&E that night. When your daughter died and she said, I remember. And it'll stay with me forever, the panic and I suppose my reaction, you know, because I don't remember a lot of it, that I was wailing, crying. I don't remember any of that. And I see people who say to me, I remember where I was when I heard that your daughter, but that Ava passed away. And the the ripple effect of, as you say, somebody losing someone, you, you may never know. You know, you may never know. And part of me probably, because I was from Galway, knew so many people, I probably saw that the ripple effect of it when the amount of people that wanted to help us because they couldn't believe it happened to someone they knew. And it even even my next door neighbour was out talking to me the last day and he, and he says, Siobhan, it took me years to actually, you know, come to terms with Ava passing away. That was just my next, you know, my next neighbour who would have known her, but not, you know, now wouldn't have known her as well as say family and stuff. And he said, so the ripple effect of it all and so we offer support, you know, to somebody wants to have a talk. Emer can go and talk to the group of friends if they want that, you know, to give them some advice and support and help, even if they want to pick up the phone. 
they want me to ring them, have a chat, you know, we're, we're there for them because it sometimes it can take people a few years before they're even able to say the word again. Some people never want to speak about the word again. It's changed their lives dramatically. And like I went through a stage of saying, I have to I have to stop talking. I have to stop talking about this, like this, this word, this disease. It just it changed my life. And but but I'm obviously in a better place now that I can talk about it again. And what if one person is listening to this and, you know, if meningitis stays in the back of their minds and what if? You know, that's why it's so important. But you go through stages of not being able to talk about it. It's just so overwhelming and how it, my life changed in that hour. And I went and I was on a different journey, you know, that I never thought I would be on. Yeah. You know, I know you said that you were scared when you went into labor with mm. Sophie. Mm. But like when you were rearing your three children, mm-hmm. was this a constant fear? Yes. An absolute constant fear, without a doubt, and I doubted myself as as a mother about my my capabilities. I willed them all to get to four. Mm. It's just these things that you do. It's mm. just these. It's all part of grief and loss. I remember my first time going out for dinner, and had the fear. Actually, I went to the cinema, and I left early, and I had to go home again. It's just all part of the loss and that fear of what if, what if something happens again? What if one of them gets sick? I had a path towards the doctor when they were all small and I remember Evan got horrendous checker box and we had to go to the hospital with him and I remember after, a few weeks later, my doctor said to me, you know they were querying uh, meningitis, he was so sick but he said I wasn't going to tell you because I had to try and keep it together. So you do but you know, that all, it's all, it, it is all time. It is time and they got older and, and now we're at the next stage. They're all, please God, you know, they're getting to the, the college age or that kind of age. And then you're there's a whole other wave of. But I can rationalise things now and I know what to look out for. And I, I believe in myself as a mum and I know, you know, I know what I need to do. But yeah, I know that most definitely did happen. That fear. And the, the, my GP was so nice. He said, yeah, just bring them in. Yeah, of course, come in. And they just say, you know, it's fine. You were doing the right thing, but they're okay. Which that that is all part of, of of trying to get yourself through, especially when they're all small. Yeah, like one of my best friends, he was my first cousin, Michael. He died at the age of nine oh, when I was nine. Sorry. And my eldest now is nine. Yeah. And it is that thing of just willing them yeah. to go beyond mm-hmm. that age. Because I look at her now and it's, keeps hitting me oh, yeah. that this was the age that he passed from mm-hmm. an asthma attack. Yeah. And again, it it, it shows that ripple effect. Absolutely. You know, and that was, I'll give the age away now, won't I? <laughs> but, you know, that was, that was in 1989 and it's still, still affects stay, me. Yeah, but it does, it, it does stay with you. Yeah. It does stay with you. And the anniversary yep. still mm-hmm. just pulls the rug from under you every yeah. year. Yeah. So, um, April now. Technically, she'll be 15 years gone. And so her five years gone, her 10 years gone, her 15. It's it's something strange about those kind of dates that seem to, God, it's like a lifetime, but there's just such definite numbers of time that she's gone. Her communion, she was so excited about her communion. She wanted to get her ears pierced. 
suggesting a Juris Pierce. She even had everything planned. And the day of her communion, I remember packing everything into the car and we went down. I think we went to Mayo or somewhere just to, to run away. But you're, in hindsight, I was just bringing my pain with me. But I, you just don't know what to do. I used to I used to put, put the kids to bed and just go down at 10 or 11 at night and just walk around Tesco, just staring at things. Because you you, you're too afraid to sit with it. It's probably about three or four years after she passed that I was able to sit with it and start dealing with it and go and talk to somebody and, you know, face the reality that she was gone. Because you don't want to face that. You, you, you don't want to you don't want to think that there's no that they're not coming back. But in hindsight, now looking back at everything and the place I'm in now and I'm in really, really good I am in a really good place and the kids are doing really good and, you know, we are really happy. In hindsight, it, that was my journey. And I am where I am because of my journey and where losing Ava led me to. Sitting here today with you and, you know, hopefully making a difference for other people. And you feel her presence today? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. I wouldn't go down to the grave that much. I mean, I talk to her every day. I do have her head wrecked when I'm trying to get a parking spot. and say, come on, Ava, I'm in a rush. No, I talk to her all the time. And I wouldn't be deeply religious, but I do pray now. And I always light a candle. You know, when I always light Ava's candle. If somebody's anything going on, I just say, I'm lighting Ava's candle for you. Or, But I would talk to her. Yeah, I do. And I feel her around me. Absolutely. And I think she is my gut instinct. My gut has never done me wrong and my choice of decisions I've ever made in my life. And I believe it's her guiding me. And for the first two years, everywhere I'd look, I'd be, I would see feathers everywhere. Like I believe in all that. I believe that she's in a much better place and that she's waiting for me. And can you imagine that day when we're back together again? But I need to rear my other children and get them on their road. And my day will come when she's going to be there waiting for me. Will she be four? I don't know. I often wonder about that. But I know that she's definitely guiding me and minding me. And she hasn't done me wrong. She hasn't done me wrong. Yeah. For now, mommy's on a mission to help others. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So if people want to get more information about the signs, the symptoms, mm -hmm. and even the events that you have coming up, yeah. and maybe if people are going for a walk at the moment, like it's, it's great. I've gotten such beautiful feedback from people, especially during this series of Gary talks where they're living overseas and they might be from Ireland or have grown up in Galway years ago. And now they're living abroad, living the, the high life. Yes. But th they love listening to the podcast when they're out going for walks or runs mm. or drives or whatever. And I think if you are in that space at the moment, that maybe you could just, you know, take 30 seconds out after listening to this podcast and maybe think about, is there something that I could do or maybe get my friends together or my colleagues together where we can do something that'll be fun, but also raise mm. some funds for acts for meningitis. I think that'd be worth thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. And so if anybody wants to get in touch, even something as simple as our social media is really busy, messages on the, the charity page on Twitter, on Instagram. We're rounding up all the women this year for the Women's Mini Marathon. We're going to have a bus going up from Galway or wherever people want to join us. Or if people would like to do something themselves, be it, you know, do a small little walk, send out our, we send out our awareness cards and a t-shirt and just get the awareness, take a photo, share it on social media. The simple, do you know about meningitis? You know, those kind of things. The awareness is as important as the support, if not nearly more important. 
So people wearing our tops. I see, often see people out running from the runs we had for years and they're wearing the Remembering Ava tops. So if people want to get involved with the charity, we'd only love it and we'll travel anywhere and we'll support people in what they want to do. And I remember years ago, a family had come across our page and they had lost their daughter. They were, I think they were in Canada or somewhere and she loved rainbows. And we sent over some of our stuff and they took a photo and they were so proud to, you know, to be doing something over there. But, you know, as and being a part of Ireland and what we were trying to do. So it's really important. I suppose I want people to know that we're so grateful for any kind of support, because as I said, we're a small little charity, but with a large heart and a very loud voice (laughs) (laughs) that really, really needs to be heard. And just before we wrap up, just talking about marketing, I mean, what has worked for you in getting the message out there? Radio interviews. Our new video that's coming soon, everybody, <laughs> from GK Media. Our social media is really, really strong tool. A simple please share, you know, has really worked. And trying to get articles and stuff into the newspapers. But our social media, our Instagram and our social media is really, really, really worked for us. And between all of them, because for me now, Facebook is flatlining mm. at the moment. Instagram and Twitter. Instagram yeah. does be very, very busy. If people just want to give us a follow and even share what we're, what we're trying to do. The awareness is that as important as supporting us. That's just as important. And if people want me to come and do talks, I do talks. We can do them online through Zoom. Um, I can travel. I've been to Ballinasloe. I've been to Dublin. I've been everywhere doing the talks. I've done talks to 2,000 people in, in, in big corporate settings to five people in a room. But each year is important as the next. So I'm happy to do that talk and it's, can keep it for 20 minutes, few, you know, questions if they want and hand out our awareness material take our little awareness cards that we have home fold it up put it in your wallet put it in your purse we have a new website coming um, mm-hmm. in the next few months and it's going to be suitable for people of all disabilities so so that's going to be really active and really busy as well and we have a new web app coming that people will be able to download in a few months as well and with a click of a button you'll be able to get the signs and symptoms of meningitis so we'll be sharing all that to get people to do that so no matter where they are in the world they can just click on this button and they can get the signs and symptoms and, you know, act if they need to, no matter where they are. So that's all in the pipeline. And what is what is the big kind of long term goal? Because in one way, you probably would love if you could wrap up the charity in 10 years time that there's no need for it anymore. Yeah. But the reality of that it probably isn't a realistic it, thing. It, either. It, it probably isn't because a few years ago, new strains appeared in Ireland. So our dream would be to have an Ireland where no lives are lost to meningitis. But that's a long way off. That's a long way off because as the new strains appear and then you could have a year or two where there wouldn't be a massive amount of cases and then another year where you could have them back again. So that's the problem with with meningitis. That's the plan of the World Health Organization. It's a massive, massive undertaking to try and defeat meningitis by 2030. But that will be a dream for us to have, say, eradicated, for want of a better word. But that's why we're a part of what's going on in in the World Health Organization to try and get our voice heard over there and be a part of what they're trying to do on a global scale. But that would be a dream to have that. Siobhan, thanks for joining us in Gary Talks. Thank you, Gary. It's a pleasure. 
Thanks again to Siobhan for sharing her story, but also for the amazing work that she and her team are doing around Ireland. For more information about Act for Meningitis, head to their website, actformeningitis.ie. And if you can support them in any way, please do. Thank you for listening to Gary Talks. And as always, you can support the show by telling your friends about it. And you can connect with me directly by following Gary Talks on Instagram, LinkedIn or TikTok. Have a great week and I look forward to talking to you again on Friday for a short bonus episode of Business Bites. Take care.